This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of July 19th. Uh, We have Robin Roberts guest hosting this week. And the champion's winnings and consolation amounts will be matched with a donation to Be The Match, focusing on organ donors. Is that right? Uh, Not organ donors so much as um, uh, bone marrow and blood stem cells. Oh, I am learning So, on Monday, July 19th, we have the contestants Meg O'Hare, a product manager from Somerville, Massachusetts, Allison Pistorius, an actress and college professor from Dallas, Texas, and Josh Sack, a traffic engineer from Boise, Idaho, whose one-day cash winnings total $18,395. And we have the Jeopardy! Round Categories podcasts. Hey, we know something about those. Another shout out to us. Mm-hmm. We we hear you. We yep. hear you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I can with I in quotation marks. What's in the cave? Agree to disagree. Hey, where's that dish? Uh, each response will include a place or a nationality. And it's in the cabinet department. For a podcast host, I felt like I didn't know a lot of these podcasts in the podcast category this american life of course uh is my Mm -hmm. uh my first podcast love i was a huge this american life fan like when i was in high school and Mm. college Uh, i went to (laughs) nerd yeah i went to some went to some live shows i've got some posters um yeah i was intense about this american life so that was at the $800 level. Um, but the other ones, I saw a few things that kind of rang a bell, but most of these I didn't know well. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know the Megan and Harry one, but I also don't. I wish them the best. The drama of the royal family in England does not mm. mean mean much to me. I had not heard of Renegades with Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Although... I'm intrigued, but also trepidatious about that. Yeah. I just don't know what that would be. Yeah. I Yeah, you're, you know, This American Life was the only one really that I was like, yeah, I know that. Yep. Hmm. So. Yeah, it's because we spend all this time making the podcast. We don't have time to listen. Mm-hmm. All the time we put in. Yeah, that's it. That's definitely... I what is there a podcast you listen to every week or like podcasts that you listen to every week? Uh, I listen to the adventure zone every two weeks when it comes mm-hmm. out. I watch. I listen to my brother, my brother and me, mm-hmm. uh, most weeks. And, uh, that's mostly, I, since I didn't commute as much this last year, I got really behind on all my podcasts. So I don't, mm. I haven't been listening as much the last year, so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of off my game. Yeah, I um my my two really consistent ones are um podcast for preachers called Pulpit Fiction, and then uh, Dear Hank and John is Hank and John Green's advice 
podcast. Although, mm. you know, it's the advice is just to give them something to talk about. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I listen to the Anthropocene reviewed pretty consistently. That's John Green's podcast. So I think between the two of us, we've got the two sort of major brother <laughs> podcasting <laughs> dynasties covered. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Day of the Devil number one is in the Yes, I Can category at the $1,000 level. It's pick number 12. Allison finds it. She's at 2000 Josh is at 2000 and Meg is at negative 200 She wagers only 1000 and gets the clue. I can be sent away by my father Abraham in Genesis, but become known as the father of the Arabs. We just talked about this two weeks ago. Mm-hmm, that's right. This was in your deep dive. Uh, she guesses who is Isaac, but it is the other one. It is Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Who was saved at the Zamzam well, I now know. Mm-hmm, that's right. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Josh is at 6,200, Allison is at 3,400, and Meg is at 2,400. Uh, and we have the double Jeopardy categories, A Time of War, First Names in the Dictionary, One Named Authors, A Visit to Prague, Let's Get Serious, and Olivier Award Winners. They've been on a real Ethiopia kick lately. Mm, uh, the, yeah. The, the Time of War category, this uh, $1,200 level. The Battle of Adwa in 1896 was fought between Italy and this Horn of Africa country. That's Ethiopia. Meg got it. Uh, it is good to remember that Ethiopia was, for a time, an Italian colony, uh, one of Italy's few holdings in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, so colonialism happened. Uh, Italy was in on it, too. So uh, that's that's a good thing to remember. But they've asked a lot. And I think it also comes up later in the week. As yes, well. that's right. I had a hard time thinking of any one named authors before they started revealing those clues. Mm -hmm. Um they went with Voltaire, who I know of and probably should have thought of. And then German poet Novalis, who I was not familiar with. Nope. They were they were looking for uh, the literary movement he was part of. Um, yeah, it said pioneered. And I mean, maybe he was one of the first. I mean, I always think of Goethe. That's yeah. Like the German pioneer of that. But Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, romanticism is what they were looking for there. Um, and then we had one about Captain Haddock is the companion and Snowy is the dog of this teenage journalist created by the Belgian cartoonist Hergé. Uh, so Hergé is the one named author and then Tintin is who they were looking for. Uh, that was a fun throwback, I thought, yeah. uh, to my youth. Hmm. I, love, I love those Tintin books. Although, in retrospect, yikes. I don't know them. Oh, um, they're very full of adventure and racism also. Um, ah, yes. That old chestnut. Yep. Yep. He goes to a lot of different places and in encounters people in those places. Caricatures. Yes. I'm sure. yes. Yes, exactly. Daily double number two is in the A Time of War category at the $800 level. It's the 14th pick. And Josh finds it. Uh, he has 12,600. 
at this point to Allison's 8,200 and Meg's 2,400. He wagers 4,400 of that. So I think that he's thinking if he misses, he will be tied for first. I think that's where he comes up with that number. Hmm. And he gets the clue. The DMZ conflict of the late 1960s is sometimes referred to as the second this. And he correctly responds, what is the second Korean War? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this pretty much comes down to, do you recognize DMZ? DMZ, And can you kind of place it geographically? Yeah. Daily Double Number 3 is in the first names in the dictionary category. Uh, It's pick number 24. It's at the $1,600 level. Josh finds it. Uh, He's at 20,200. Allison is at 9,400 and Meg is at 3,200 and he wagers 1,800. And he gets the clue, a translucent yellowish fossil resin. And he gets that right with what is amber? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Josh is in the lead, not quite a lock, with 26,000. Allison's at 14,200. And Meg is at 3,200. And we have the final Jeopardy category, the 50 states. And the clue, both in the Pacific... They are the 50 states' two biggest islands in area. One is about 40 degrees colder in winter than the other. Meg has responded, what are Hawaii and Victoria? Um, Victoria. I think it's British Columbia. Is, yeah, it's part of British Columbia. It is a big island, mm-hmm. um, but not part of the 50 states. And she's wagered $31.99, everything but a dollar. So she drops down to a buck. Allison came up with what are Maui and Lanai. Those are two of the islands of Hawaii. So that doesn't really fit with uh, one 40 degrees colder in winter than the other. Uh, she's wagered 9400 So she's dropping down to $4,800. Uh, and Josh has come up with the correct response. Uh, what are Hawaii and Kodiak? Uh-huh. And he's wagered 2405 uh cover bet, and a few dollars, which brings him up to 28405 And he is our winner going into Tuesday. That is right. And on Tuesday, we have the contestants Darwin Fu, a data scientist from Nashville, Tennessee, Grace Devono, a writer from North Hollywood, California, and Josh Sack, a traffic engineer from Boise, Idaho, whose two-day cash winnings are now $46,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories 1876, homonyms, internet businesses, geography, a boring category, and we need new Yogi Bears, which was an incredible stretch, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, Robin explained the way Yogi Berra became Yogi Bear, these should be new cartoon characters, mm-hmm. which is, I think, would be a good pub trivia category. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. It, it just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It seemed a bit of a reach for Jeopardy. Yep. Yeah. It was not clear to me when they called the first one. Whether you were supposed to simply give the name of the celebrity Mm -hmm. or whether you were supposed to kind of work your way through the wordplay to give the the name of the 
imagined cartoon character. Uh, so yeah. the two, yeah, the two hundred dollar clue was kids will love this cartoon bison, whose name honors the actor who plays the movie's Hulk. So they were looking for Mark Buffalo. I to- I see how you get there. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also, why? Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also these were like not. I I felt with 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 no. No shade intended to these to these very fine actors. These were not the most accessible celebrity names to me. Like these were, they are celebrities I know, but mm-hmm. to get to the name of the the tall guy from Everybody Loves Raymond and then figure out an animal pun in the amount of time you have to ring in on these questions, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's a challenge. It was tough. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Daily double number one is. In the geography category, that's a nice straightforward category, unlike some oh, yeah. categories. Uh, it's at the $1,000 level, and it's the 16th pick. Uh, Josh finds it. And at this point, he has 3600 Grace is at 2400 Darwin's at 400 And Josh wagers 2400 and gets the clue. This pair of larger and smaller islands, uh, larger and smaller are in quotation marks here, are in a group about 100 miles off the east coast of Spain. He guesses what are the Balearics. Uh, that's not correct. They are looking for Mallorca and Menorca. Yes. Which, of course, mean larger and smaller. Right. Yes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Grace is in the lead at 5,800. Josh has made it back up to 2,200. Um, Darwin actually has lost some. He's dropped down to zero. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, poetry, TV show episode titles... American nicknames, parts of the oceans, three of the same continents, and composers, painters, and scientists. I realized they gave three different kinds of professions in there, and they did have two composer questions, but I could have done with more composers. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> Maybe just make the whole category composers. Um, yeah, I, what Compo- were they- <laughs> Like composers paint it. Like what's the, what's the goal here with the cat? Like why have a category if you're going to be like we're going to put three different types of questions in this one? Right, you only have five clues. I mean, I really I know they write more than five, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Maybe they had some leftover questions from other categories, and they're like these are all about composers, painters, and scientists. Just, we'll just call it hodgepodge. It's called potpourri. <laughs> Maybe Bi- uh. biography podge. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against Darwin, but he went to the poetry category first, so... Mm, I like it. I like that. I like that move. Um, You're not the only person who um, has a hard time remembering where to put Yates in the timeline, it would seem. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Oh, at the $400 level? Yeah. Yeah. This poet wrote Adonais on the death of his friend John Keats. Josh guessed who is Lord Byron. Darwin guessed who is Yates. Uh, but this is earlier. Keats was earlier than Yeats by a good amount, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like 60 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeats, yeah. Is, Yeats is modernism. Keats is romanticism. Yeah. This was Percy B. Shelley. Mm-hmm. I, I was not familiar with the Hollow Men poem that was referenced at the $1,200 level. I don't know that one. Oh, I, I, I did know that one. I think we read it in 12th grade. Oh, okay. I remember, I remember reading The Hollow Men in Wasteland. Yeah. 
I mean, you need, you need to know some some Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly, mostly for trivia purposes, for Elliot, you need to you need to know the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, and, and and now you need to know what's his face's guide to practical cats or whatever. Yep, uh, the, the old the old possum's book of practical cats is that what it's called? I don't know. You um, would know better than I and, would. And you need to and you need to know about the wasteland. And the, the first line is April is the cruelest month, but you don't actually need to know anything about the wasteland other than that. That's yeah. like a little bit of a deeper cut as far as Elliot goes in my experience. Sure. Daily Double number two is in the American Nicknames category. It's pick number 11. It's at the $1,200 level. Darwin finds it. Uh, he's at 2000 Josh is at 7800 Grace is at 9400 And he bets it all, which he definitely should, that far behind. And he gets a clue, born in 1876, which could have fit in the 1876 category. This author of several doggone adventures was known as the American Kipling. He... Couldn't get any guess who is Mark Twain, but that's Jack London. Mm-hmm. Call of the Wild. What's that? White Fang? Is that the other one? Yes, White Fang. And Daily Double number three is in the Parts of the Oceans category at the $1,600 level, and Josh finds it at the 21st pick. Uh, he's at 11400 at this point to Grace's 8200 and Darwin's 800 and he wagers 2600 of that and gets the clue. The Agulas and East Madagascar currents flow in this ocean. And he correctly responds, what is the Indian Ocean? He, he seemed annoyed with himself that he did not bet more. Yeah. Because I feel like that was a pretty gettable clue. Yeah, I mean, even just like... That the response is going to be one of the oceans. Right. Narrows it down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, that's, it's, it's not a coin flip, but it's like a, a dice roll. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, essentially. Um, roll a d6. What do you get? Yep. Uh, even if you have no, you know, even if you don't recognize any of the words in the mm-hmm. clue, which he did. Yeah, it was easy for a 1600, I thought. Yeah. Uh, So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Josh is at 17,600. Grace has gotten up to 9,800, and Darwin is at 2,400. We have the final Jeopardy category, the 20th century, and the clue. The code name for a historic meeting at this city was Argonaut, after the heroes who searched for the Golden Fleece on the Black Sea. I mentioned Jason and the Argonauts last week. You sure did. Uh, nothing about the Black Sea or this city, though. Wouldn't wouldn't have helped point you here. Uh, Darwin wrote, what is Yalta? And that is correct. The Yalta Conference. He also wagered nothing, which is okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot you're going to do from that position with that amount anyway, so betting zero is your best shot in case yeah. both of the others go big and get it wrong. Grace wrote, what is Tehran? Thinking of the other big conference, but that is not correct. And she did go big. She wagered everything. So she drops down to zero. Yep. And Josh wrote, what is Yalta? And bet 2005, which is a cover bet. And uh, he's our winner with 19,605. That's right. So on Wednesday, 
we have the contestants Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, Elizabeth Devereaux, a middle school teacher from Lawrence, Kansas, and Josh Zach, a traffic engineer from Boise, Idaho, whose three-day cash winnings total 66405 And we have the Jeopardy round categories Med School, Sing Out, Out is in quotation marks, Exodus Tells Us, Two letters, three letters. Each response will have two words. The first has two letters and the second has three. So on end is an example. 15 minutes or less. And we guarantee it. There was a triple stumper at the $200 level of Exodus tells us. Um, And I think it was about like confusing wording in the clue. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The That one was, the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve, made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in this. And I think they had an image there also. Elizabeth tried what is clay, and Josh tried what is slavery, which takes it in a different direction, but is not a bad guess. They were looking for brick. In mortar and in brick. So I guess they thought it was a $200 question because it was like, what goes with mortar? Right. Um, but the way it was worded was very strange. Yeah. We actually had a good uh, a number of triple stumpers in this one. Um, kind of at the lower levels, too, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that wasn't even... Yeah, you're. <laughs> it was one of three triple stumpers at the $200 level. That's, yeah. That's... Uh, that's rare. Yes. But they were they were a little bit less like gimmies than yeah. normal. Yeah. Um, in the we guarantee it category, they wanted to know uh, what Nixon said in 1969. For years, politicians have promised. I'm the first one to be able to deliver it. Josh tried what is victory, and Matt tried what is victory in Vietnam. Uh, but the moon. The moon. The moon. And nobody could think of the title of Ed Sheeran's uh, 2015 Song of the Year and Best Solo Pop Performance uh, Grammy-winning song, Mm -hmm. which was Thinking Out Loud. I also could not think of that, so. Nor could I. No, no, no. Absolutely not. I didn't know how new white coat ceremonies were. Hmm. In the med school category at the $800 level, WCC for short, this colorful rite of passage for new med students originated at schools like the University of Chicago and Columbia around 1990. That's the white coat ceremony. And I just sort of assumed that that was, you know, a venerable tradition. I did not know that it was younger than me. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I guess a white coat ceremony. I mean, we we. Doctors have been associated with white coats for longer than 30 years, right? Yeah. So I, I got to think that the ceremony itself is the new thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm sure that the ceremony is the new thing. Doctors started wearing white coats in the late 1800s, yeah. I'm finding. But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of very old traditions about welcoming people to a school and then sending them back out of the school. And I just assumed the white coat ceremony sort of fit in with a lot of those, which are, you know, a century old or something. Sure. Yeah. Well, like they also mentioned the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Which goes back to antiquity. So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
it's not like it's unheard of that there would be a very old tradition in there. Yeah. Daily Devil number one is in the Exodus Tells Us category at the $800 level. It's pick number 11, and Matt finds it. He's at... 1800 Josh is at 1600 Elizabeth is at 1600 and he bets it all. And he gets the clue, I will smite all thy borders with these creatures, and the river shall bring forth them abundantly. And Matt gets it correct with, what is frogs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Matt had an unusual technique in his delivery, which I don't mm-hmm. think we've mentioned yet, which is that he just says, what's? And then whatever the answer is, he does not try to distinguish with like is or are or what or who or who or whom or whomst. Yeah. Which uh, so, some people took issue with. Why aren't they ruling him incorrect? It's like, well, he, he phrased it in the form of a question. And the question does not have to be like, I don't know, it doesn't have to agree with the thing, right? Like, the interrogative you use does not have to necessarily indicate the, like, I don't know, quality of the noun or thing you're right. talking about. Yeah. So. There were a few times that uh, the the what's rubbed me the wrong way, although I'd noticed that he was just using it consistently. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, we did, we haven't gotten to this yet, but, like, what's Hattie McDaniel? I was like, mm, that's, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't sit quite right. Um, sure. But having identified that. that, like, he was trying to keep his focus on the material by not worrying about having the question be grammatically correct. I sort of understood, but I, I don't know. No, I, I, I hear that. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Josh is at 5,000, Elizabeth is at 3,400, and Matt is at 7,400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, European peninsulas, birding, math in the old days, they've got an EGOT, books of 1990, and you pick it, P-I-C in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Didn't get to all of the clues in this round. We left one on the board. Yeah, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last clue, the 29th pick, was a two hundred or a $400 level, and it was another triple stumper. This composer's EGOT includes Tony's for Evita, Cats, and Sunset Boulevard. Josh guessed who is Sondheim, um, and that, that was the only guess. That's Andrew Lloyd Webber. I really, I feel like, especially with the Cats movie having been very recent, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like good old Andy Lloyd is, is a, a bit more, like, known currently. Yeah, that surprised me. Then, of course, we had everybody's favorite song in that category. Uh, composer Robert Lopez won a Grammy and an Oscar for this song from Frozen. That is Let It Go. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is the very first pick of the round in the European Peninsula's category at the $1,200 level. Elizabeth opens the round, so she finds it and wagers 3400 uh, which is a true daily double. Josh is at 5,000 at this point and Matt's at 7,400. And she gets the clue. The name of this French region that protrudes into the Atlantic has a name related to the land to its north. And they provided a map. And she correctly responds, what is Brittany? Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is at pick number six. So it is also early in the round. It's in the math in the old days category at the $1,200 level. Josh finds it. He's at 9,000 at this point. Uh, Elizabeth is at 6,800. Matt's at 7,400. And he wagers 6,000. I like the gumption. 
And the clue yeah. is, their numerals weren't handy for arithmetic, so ancient Romans did most of their calculating on this device. He gets correct with what is an abacus. That's right. I liked the $1,600 clue right below that, although I just sort of feel like ways of counting on your fingers is sort of a Jeopardy sore spot still. Uh, after the, the kerfuffle, the, uh, the incident... <laughs> The incident. The yes. incident. But I do like this fact, which I learned a little bit before the incident. The Babylonians used base 60, which could be counted on five fingers of one hand and the 12 of these on four fingers of the other. That's your knuckles. So like, all right, listeners, take your right hand and touch your thumb to the knuckle closest to the tip of your pinky right like the inside like the crease there right that's one you move it down one more that's two move it down one more that's three now you go to your ring finger you've got three there you've got three on your middle finger three on your index finger that's how you count to 12 on one hand and then like when you reach 12 you move to like you you move to one like you put up one finger on the other hand and that's your that's your 12 and then you go back to counting your 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 next 12 on your right hand that's uh that is babylonian counting they they didn't do the like you don't indicate by putting a number of fingers up you you like count the like the creases um and Uh so you can get to 12 with the one hand um i learned that from hank green so we've come full circle Um, there we go yeah at the end of the double jeopardy round this has been a Fabulous game. Matt is at 20,200. Josh is hot on his heels with 19,800. Elizabeth is at 12,400. I believe we've seen lot games where the winning contestant has something like 12,400. Not often, you know, like. Yeah, we've we've seen situations that are very not this. Yeah. She's (laughs) she's in a she's in a distant third with a with a score that normally would put you in the lead or in solid contention for it. And we have the final Jeopardy category, African Monarchs. And the clue, some devotees of this emperor who died in 1975, traces lineage to King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Elizabeth couldn't come up with anything. She just has what is emperor. And she's wagered everything but $270. Josh has who is Halle Selassie. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Selassie, Selassie. Yeah. And he's wagered 5,005. That brings him up to 24,805. But Matt has the correct response with who is Selassie, and he has wagered everything. Everything. I don't know, maybe, I don't know if he talked about this in the interview, but maybe his PhD studies are in African history or something. Yeah. Because goodness gracious, man, yeah. betting it all from well, the lead. I mean, I, mean, I guess your cover, if you're going a cover for a cover bet, is bet almost that everything. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, but still, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, just, this, this might be the moment for a second order bet. Like you yeah. know, you know exactly what Josh is going to do, right? Down to like you know he does the thing with the five dollars. Yeah. Like this, this might be the time to like figure out that Josh is not going all in. Right. 
and and bet accordingly. Although, you know, if that backfires, then you're like, I, then had, you look the, I had the correct answer and I was in the lead, right? Yeah, I could. This was my game to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't blame him for betting at all. It's just who I feel anxious just thinking yeah. about it. I mean, it, it works out for him. Like, oh, yeah. You know, he Matt- makes $40,000 in one uh-huh. game. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, ooh. I mean, good for him and his $40,400. Uh, so, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, going into Thursday, we have the contestants Pete Wisniewski, a math teacher from King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, Reka Rajkumar, a stay-at-home parent from Oak Park, Illinois, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, whose one-day cash winnings are $40,400. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Around the World, MLB Mascots, Lit Bits, It's a Trap! Howard's End, and Down to Earth, R-T-H, in quotation marks. Not a whole lot of triple stumpers. Pretty, nope, nope. Pretty clean game. Yeah, for the most part. Pete's, like, one incorrect response was in the It's a Trap category at the $800 level. I talked about this last week. In Greek myth, Minos used the labyrinth designed by this man to imprison him and his son Icarus. The two escaped at a price. Pete guessed who is Pan. Not not sure where where he got that. Um, I I know I know he was thinking of the film Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, oh, of course. Yes. Of course. I mm-hmm. did not even make. The, I did not even come close to making that connection. Maybe because I was just like, oh, I know this is Dayless. Uh Ricka picked up the rebound. Yeah, the film Pan's Labyrinth is pretty great. It's so good. Yeah. That is one of the few movies that I have actually chosen to watch more than once. Mm, yeah. I uh wrote a paper about like Carl Jung and Pan's Labyrinth back in seminary. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, could I just say that I was impressed with Rika for um getting the uh the six hundred dollar level of it's a trap correct. Uh the clue yes. was that the now heavily memed Admiral Admiral Akbar discovers it's a trap in this nineteen eighty three film that's return of the jedi i don't know what would have happened if somebody had said star wars i don't know if they would have said no or if they would have said be more, be more specific. specific yeah but like Either way. good for her for knowing the correct episode yep of the saga and going right to it mm-hmm. um all right anyway daily double number one is in the howard's end category at the 600 hundred dollar level and reka finds it as the 16th pick she has 5,000 at this point to Matt's 7,400. Pete's in, at, in the red at negative 800 at this point. And she wa- wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. Some cried foul when this Marvel comic book hero flew away in 1979, but he would return. She does not know. She tries who is Iron Man. They're looking for Howard the Duck. Hero? I don't know who Howard the Duck is. Am I supposed to know who? I mean, I guess I'm supposed to know who Howard the Duck is. I mean, it was a thing back then. Okay. Uh, I think technically the first Marvel movie was Howard the Duck, but I don't know that hero is a great term for Howard the Duck. Mm. But whatever. I I don't care to talk about Howard the Duck. Okay. Voiced by Seth Green in the films Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Yeah, he makes cameos. I have no recollection of there being a duck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All Just right. a quick little scene. 
Okay, so like if you already know that Howard the Duck is a thing, you'll be like, oh, Howard the Duck. Yeah, and if you don't, you'll just be like, oh, weird alien thing. Yep. Oh, talking duck. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Matt's up at 9,400. Reka's at 4,800. Pete has made it out of the red and is at 400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Ideology. uh, That is, I like the part of the body. Three letters, two syllables. Ancient history. Mm pop. Each correct response will contain a double M. Mark your calendars and something big is coming. And uh, we left two $400 clues on the board. I feel like these were kind of wordy clues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pete had a close miss in ideology trying to identify the five-letter acronym, which is the most popular vision correction procedure in the U.S. He tried, what is Lasix? Yeah. Um, it's Lasix with a K, yeah. not an X. Well, yeah, it's either either that's an X and that's the wrong acronym, or he added an S to the end of it. Yep. Which then it's six letters and still wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. He just had a he had a rough go. It seemed like he couldn't get in on the buzzer most of the time because mm-hmm. I it, like I saw him trying, and then when he did, he he'd get one right, and then he'd get one wrong, and then he'd get one right, and then he'd get one wrong. Yeah. Of what I think is a really cool fact in the something big is coming category at the $1,600 level. The term juggernaut comes from a massive vehicle pulled by thousands of pilgrims to honor this avatar of Vishnu. And they showed a picture of it. Matt guessed who is Krishan or Krishnan and it put an N on the end. Rekha got it with who is Jagannath, which I've never heard of and I Jagannath is an abstract representation of Krishna, according to most Vaishnava Hindus. So I think if he had actually said Krishna, he I think they would have, have been it. accepted. Yeah, which is interesting to me. I bet they had to stop tape because Rekha knew more about Hinduism. It's possible. <laughs> than, than anyone else in the room. That's a bet, yeah. Yeah. I could see that, yeah. But that that's that was interesting to me. I was like, huh. Yeah, I think they were trying to clue Krishna. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the Mark Your Calendars category at the $1,200 level. It is pick number 12. Matt finds it. Uh, he's at 18600 already. Rekha is at 8000 and Pete is at zero. He wagers 4000 And the clue is many of the days of the week bear the name of Germanic gods, but this one is from the name of a Roman deity. Uh, and he... I guess goes through the the days of the week and he says, what is Saturday? Which is correct, from Saturn. Mm -hmm. And Daily Double number three is the 23rd pick at the $2,000 level of ancient history. Matt finds it. He's at 24,600 to Reka's 11,600 and Pete's 1,600. And he wagers just 2,000 this time. I thought Robin gave him a little bit of a hard time, like just 2000 as if, you know, like, like mm-hmm. ribbing him about implying that wasn't a lot. I think this time he's trying to maintain his lock position. Yeah. yeah. And he gets the clue. This queen of Egypt, Akhenaten's wife, was a symbol of fertility bolstered by the six daughters she bore. And, uh, Lori talked about this way back when she was she uh, when she was guest co-hosting. That is Nefertiti, and he gets yes, that correct. Yeah, 
Uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, this is a, uh, I feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt is in a lock position at 3,100. So it's kind of a moot point as far as the others. Rick is at 9,600, which is a good score going into final. And Pete is at 400 in the red. Uh, so he does not get to play in final jeopardy, which is a shame. The category is 1970s movie scenes and the clue. Writer Dan O'Bannon based a scene in this film on his own Crohn's disease, which felt like things inside him fighting to get out, which is such a cool backstory for it. Yeah. Rick, I guessed, what is The Exorcist? That is incorrect. She wagered 4500 And Matt wrote, what is Alien? And that is correct. Mm-hmm. I could see where Rick was coming from with The Exorcist. Yeah. There's a famous, you know vomiting scene that i mm-hmm. see you could you could think of um sure but yeah no it's a that's a it's a very cool backstory for the for that scene from alien yep yep and uh he did not risk his lock in wagering ten thousand, so he goes up to forty one thousand. Mm-hmm. It's, uh the winner for thursday and on friday we have the contestants rachel vanarstall a translator from silver spring maryland John Roberson, a medical coder from Apple Valley, Minnesota, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, whose two-day cash winnings total $81,400. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Jimmy Carter, Nonsense Words, Literary Geography, Doing the Safety Dance, Cop Shows by Characters, and 20-something. Yeah, that I was disappointed that the safety dance category was not about the song, the safety dance, but was in fact about just safety things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen the video, the music video for safety dance? I haven't, but I'm Googling it oh, right now. It is, it is something else. It's notable for its British folk revival imagery featuring featuring Morris dancers, mummers, punch and Judy and a maypole. Mm-hmm. It's hmm. it's out there. Okay. This whole game, Matt was just like more dominant on the buzzer than he had been uh, previously. Mm-hmm. Not that he hadn't been before, but just like he was he was all over at this this game. But that worked to his disadvantage at the beginning because he, he he got a lot wrong in the first uh, first you know five ten clues. Yeah, he really wanted to commit to that eight hundred dollar row, mm-hmm. um, but he missed one. He got one, so then he was back up to zero, and then he missed another one and got another one, so he was back up to zero. Then he got another one, went up to eight hundred. Uh, was in the in the positive for the first time, and then the one after that he got yeah, but he got back on track pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he did. Yeah, and he was he was very impressive mm-hmm. throughout this whole game. Yes, indeed, he was. Mm-hmm. We had uh, a fun um, moment where uh, in the nonsense words category, the first one that he uh, that he called was the $800 level and they had a picture of kind of a logo with like a like a chicken and uh, the clue was seen here it is the logo for this candy treat whose name also means nonsense and he tried what's fiddle faddle but they were looking for poppycock 
And then six clues later, he called for the $600 level of that same category and got the clue. This hyphenated nonsense word begins with a word for violin and ends with a word one letter different from the first. And he rang in and again said, what is fiddle faddle? But this time he was correct. That's right. That's always fun. I like when that happens. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the literary geography category. It's pick number 18. Uh, it's at the $1,000 level. Matt finds it. He's at 4000 John is at 800 Rachel is at 400 uh, And he makes it a true Daily Double. That's all 4000 He gets the clue. Part of Act 3 of this Shakespeare tragedy unfolds at Actium. Uh, and he gets it correct with what is Antony and Cleopatra. Yep. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt is in the lead at 10,200. John is at 1,400 and Rachel is at 1,800. We get the double Jeopardy categories, military emblems of belief. These are used on gravestones to identify the faith of the soldier, Robin tells us. Which, that was an interesting category to me. Historical fiction. Animals in art, beaut of course, lost voices, and the OED from Devanva to Follis. Okay. I'm sort of perplexed by those endpoints that they chose. I don't know what they mean, so maybe they are related to each other, but I don't. I have hmm. Devanva is a linguistic compound in which multiple individual nouns are concatenated. Okay. That's a good word. It is a good word. To, yeah, to form an agglomerated compound word in which the conjunction has been elided to form a new word with a distinct semantic field. All right, so that is not a word anyone expected us to know. Okay. Um, I think, you know, unless you're like pretty deep in linguistics, and Pholus is a bronze or copper coin of a type introduced by the Roman Emperor Diocletian. Okay, so uh, they, they are not related to each other. Any more than two words in a language are. Oh, there is an edition of the OED from 1991 that had uh, the second volume was Devonva to Follis. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that that's the first hit on Devonva Follis. Well, the first one was somebody who that is their name, apparently. Uh, but the second one was um, was this 1991 edition so it seems like the most likely way that they landed at those those endpoints i guess yeah although i don't know why they're looking at a 30 year old edition of the oed who knows but yeah all right okay well anyway those are the endpoints the clues were fine <laughs> yeah they were whatever <laughs> Yeah, I thought the Lost Voices category was interesting. It was like um, uh, mm -hmm. film roles that had been redubbed by a different actor. I did not know that uh, Chris Farley had recorded most of the lines um, for, for the Shrek. character of Shrek. Yeah. And that Mike Myers was, was a replacement uh, after Chris Farley died. Yeah, that, that was, I didn't know that either. That was really mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I also appreciated that military emblems of belief category was interesting. I wonder what they had at the $2,000 level, which yeah, we, ended we up not get getting it. revealed. 
Yeah. Nobody knew the symbol for the, it was they said this Persian religion, which I thought was the easiest way to access it. I didn't know the symbol. Matt tried what is Baha'i, but Zoroastrianism mm-hmm. is what they were looking for there. Yes. Another another thing that I have learned from playing Civilization. Mm, yes. Sim- that symbol for Zoroastrianism. Oh, okay. So I guess that's that would be a way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you, like, it seems like a pretty deep pull. It is a $1,600 clue, so that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Persian religion is generally going to be Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Daily Double number two comes up as the third pick, uh, so pretty early, uh, at the $1,600 level of Animals in Art. Uh, Matt finds this one as well. I, don't, I can't remember if you said Kyle, but he found all three yes. uh, in this game. He has 12200 at this point to John's 1400 and Rachel's 1800 He wagers 4000 of that and gets the clue. A highlight at the Musée d'Orsay is Ur Blanc a sculpture of this predator of the north. He seemed to be working it out, probably based on, you know, trying to figure out the French. Um, and he gets it correct uh, with what is polar bear. Mm-hmm. I died the same thing. I was like, you know, from French, I was like, oh, am I supposed to ne-? wait? Wait, just try and figure it out. Yeah. And I got there. Yeah. Daily double number three is pick number 23. Like you said, Matt finds it too. It's in the historical nonfiction category at the $2,000 level. At this point, he is at 23000 John is at 5400 and Rachel's at 5800 And he wagers 3000 Gets the clue. Fact is sifted out of legend in Richard Fletcher's The Quest for This 11th Century Spaniard Who Fought Against the Moors. And he gets that correct with what is El Cid? A little thing about El Cid. Also fought on the side of the Moors for a bit. Don't know the first thing about El Cid, uh, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest, this is another thing learned a little bit from, from video games. Not from not from Civilization. Uh, okay. But, um, actually, Age of Empires has a uh, El Cid campaign, which is very not historical. But mm. I have watched a historian play through it and talk about the things that are true and not true. So that was really fascinating. I could see, um, like, John and Rachel kind of tracking mm-hmm. when the tide turned and, like, it would it was no longer even conceivable mathematically to, to break Matt's lock. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Matt is at 28,000. Uh, John tried to make a push um, but didn't quite make it to breaking Matt's lock. He's at 9,400 and Rachel's at 6,600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, Literary Characters. And the clue, this owner of a large estate in Derbyshire is described as proud at least half a dozen times. And this was a triple stumper. The rare Final Jeopardy triple stumper. We haven't been getting a lot of those recently. No. Yeah, they just, I guess they just missed the clue. Yeah. Rachel got to the correct work, but didn't know the character's name. She Mm -hmm. tried, who is Mr. Bennett? Bennett is the last name of the female protagonist or protagonists, you know, the, mm-hmm. like it, I think it, fo- it focuses on the sisters, most notably Eliza. Um, but, but the, the, you know, the Bennett sisters are the, are the women looking for husbands. So she, she'd gotten to the correct work, but the wrong name. 
Um, she's wagered 3,000. That drops her down to 3,600. Uh, John tried who is Prudence. I'm not sure what he was thinking of. Um, he's wagered 4,000. That brings him down to 5,400. So he'll finish in second place. Um, and Matt tried who is Rochester. He's thinking of Jane Eyre. So he has missed the clue here. Uh-huh. They were looking for uh, Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy, uh, who is the uh, the love interest in Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what the proud what clue is doing there. Yes, it's trying to get you to think of Pride and Prejudice. You still have to know the name of the character. So Matt drops down to twenty thousand. That makes him a three day champion with one hundred one thousand at four hundred dollars. That's quite an average. Uh, <sighs> It is. It's a. That's a. A very impressive average. So we'll see him again on Monday, and I suspect that he'll be he'll be coming back on uh, after after he finishes. Although maybe I've just jinxed him. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we were saying yeah. you know uh, at the start of the week, Josh Sack looked like he was going to be destined mm-hmm. for a tournament spot, but then he ran into Matt. So right. Yeah. Who knows? Yes. Yes, indeed. If he can pull one more. We will expect him to be pretty high in the four-day champion rankings mm-hmm. with that with that uh, average winnings. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see how Monday goes. Uh, so this is the midpoint of the show. This is the time when we remind you that we have a Patreon. Uh, it's Patreon.com/slash/PotentPotables. There's not a whole lot of content on there, but there's some stuff, and uh, more importantly, it helps us to make this podcast without losing money. So if that's something that you're interested in helping us do and you're able to go over and check it out, you could throw us a few dollars a month. We also want to remind you that things are still not great in the world. Um, so uh, we want to remind you to get involved in whatever way makes sense for you. Um, a couple of places that we like as starting points are blacklivesmatter.com and communityjusticeexchange.org. There is a Stop Asian Hate GoFundMe. You can find a link to any of those in the show notes. And hey, the pandemic is not over. And the positivity rate in my region has just ascended to over 2%. So, you know, you know what you're supposed to be doing. I know you're tired of it. I also am tired of it. But please do the thing. Um, It's important. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Anything to add, Kyle? No, you covered it. Yeah. All right. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Uh, I have a few. Are you going to talk okay. about Howard the Duck? I'm not. Okay. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Bless. Um, uh, are you going to talk about... I mean, the triple stumper was a life list for birding. Are you going to talk about birding? I considered it, but no. Okay. Uh, and finally, Jack London? Mm, no. Ah, okay. Um, so I, I hesitate to do a, to do a, a music topic with you, uh, oh. as my co-host, but I, I, I do seem to be the Broadway person, um, oh. of the two of us. Okay. You're doing, uh, doing Andy Lloyd. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, my husband saw that triple stumper go by and he's like, you could do a deep dive on Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I said, you could do a deep dive on Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, because <laughs> Burn. I think, yeah. And in, in like, I think eighth or ninth grade, his like 
for whatever reason, his music teacher to des- decided to do, I think, maybe the entire year on Andrew Lloyd Webber, maybe half the year. I don't know. Wow, he that's is, a he- bold choice. <laughs> yeah, uh, so he he um, he's familiar with, I think, the entire of of Andrew Lloyd Webber. I, I'm not, but you know, I mean, I know his stuff. Um, I was. I think we remarked that we were surprised to see this one go by as a triple mm-hmm. stumper. Um, it was uh, the category They've Got an EGOT. And the clue was this composer's EGOT includes Tony's for Evita, Cats, and Sunset Boulevard. Uh, so, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, I thought I'd, you know, kind of do kind of a rundown of like his life and the projects he's worked on, um, mostly musicals, but he's done some other stuff also. And then we'll then we'll know all the titles of like even the like random little ones and be able to answer answer those Andrew Lloyd Webber questions at trivia. There we go. Um, yeah. So Andrew Lloyd Webber was born uh, March 22, two, nineteen forty eight, in Kensington, London. Uh, he is the elder son of William Lloyd Webber, who was a composer and organist, and Jean Hermione Johnstone, who was a violinist and pianist. So a very musical family. Uh, his younger brother, Julian Lloyd Webber, is a world-renowned solo cellist. I should note at this point that he has a double-barreled surname. That is to say, his last name is Lloyd Webber with a space, not a hyphen. He started writing his own music at a pretty young age. Um, he wrote a suite of six pieces at the age of nine. Uh, he put on um, productions as a child with his younger brother, Julian, uh, and his aunt in his toy theater. His aunt took him to see many of her shows. She was an actress um, and got him kind of interested and engaged in the world of theater in his childhood. His father enrolled him as a part-time student at the Eric Gilder School of Music in the spring of 1963. In 1965, he was a Queen's Scholar at at Westminster School and studied history for a term at Magdalen College in Oxford, although he abandoned the course in the winter of 1965 to study at the Royal College of Music and pursue his interest in musical theater. In 1965, uh, he was a 17-year-old budding musical theater composer um, and was introduced to Tim Rice, who was a 20-year-old aspiring pop songwriter, and the two collaborated on numerous projects. Their first collaboration was a musical called The Likes of Us. It was based on the true story of Thomas John Barnardo, a philanthropist who founded Homes for Destitute Children. Uh, they produced a demo tape of that work in 1966, but the project did not gain a backer. It's fashioned after kind of the classic Broadway musicals of the 1940s and 50s and reflects some of Andrew Lloyd Webber's early influences, uh, Richard Rogers, Frederick Lowe, Lionel Bart. It was not publicly performed until 2005 mm. um, when a production was staged at Andrew Lloyd Webber's Sidmonton Festival. In the summer of 1967, Alan Doggett, a family friend of the Lloyd Webbers, uh, commissioned Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice to write a piece for the school's choir. Uh, He asked for a pop cantata along the lines of Herbert Chappell's The Daniel Jazz and Michael Hurd's Jonah Man Jazz, both of which uh, were uh, based on the Old Testament, um, which led to Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice writing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, It's a retelling of the biblical story of Joseph. And they pastiched a number of 
pop music styles. There's like an Elvis style rock and roll song. There's calypso and country music. Joseph started out as a as a short cantata, but uh, Rice and Lloyd Webber continued to revise the show and add new songs uh, to expand it to a more substantial length. The two worked together as well in 1969, uh, writing a song for the Eurovision Song Contest uh, called Try It and See. Uh, it was not selected. And uh, the lyrics were rewritten to uh, to eventually become King Herod's song in Jesus Christ Superstar, hmm. uh, which they began to work on at that point. Um, initially, they were unable to get backing for a stage production, um, so they released it as a rock opera like concept album, but the album was successful and led to the show's uh, Broadway debut in 1971. They were going to follow that one up with a musical comedy based on the Jeeves and Wooster novels by P.G. Wodehouse. Um, but Tim Rice was not so sure about this plan, partly because he admired the novels greatly and was concerned that he and Andrew Lloyd Webber would not do them justice, apparently. Mm. Uh, So he backed out of the project, and Andrew Lloyd Webber subsequently wrote the musical Jeeves with Alan Ackborn, who provided the book and lyrics. Jeeves failed to make any impact at the box office. It ran for only 38 performances before it closed uh, in the West End in 1975. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice worked together again to write Evita, which premiered in 1978 in London, 1979 in the U.S. um, based on the life of Eva Perón. As with Jesus Christ Superstar, it was first released as a concept album uh, before becoming a musical. It was a highly successful show. It ran for 10 years in the West End. The two uh, parted ways as collaborators soon after that, although they've worked together sporadically since. Um, In 1978, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber was uh, worked on a solo project, uh, The Variations, a composition um, for his cellist brother, Julian, uh, which is based on the 24th Caprice by Paganini, um, which apparently was very successful in the pop album chart in the UK. Hmm. I don't know. They just like every- anything he does. Um, and uh, in 1979, um, he had a one-act song cycle called Tell Me on a Sunday, premiere, um, the story of an ordinary English girl who journeys to the U.S. in search of love. Those two projects have sometimes been combined into a two-act piece titled Song and Dance, where the song cycle is the first act and it's the song part, and then the um, the variations are the dance part, that's instrumental music, and then there's like ballet to it. That's kind of sort of obscure, less successful Andrew Lloyd Webber. His next project uh, was one that you know, um, Cats. He worked on it without a lyricist, uh, drawing on the poetry of T.S. Eliot. Uh, It premiered in 1981 and would become the longest-running musical in London, where it ran for 21 years before closing. On Broadway, it ran for 18 years, uh, which was a record that would ultimately be broken by another Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Phantom of the Opera. Hmm. Then he wrote Starlight Express, Uh, premiered in 1984. It was a commercial hit, um, but the critics didn't like it so much. It ended up being the ninth longest running West End show um, and ran for less than two years on Broadway. Uh, So the the source material for Starlight Express is apparently the same as the source material for Thomas the Tank Engine. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, uh, company, like his his like like the like the company that he set up to do theater, film, television stuff, um, is called the Really Useful Group, which is from the children's book series. Uh, the Railway Series, uh, which is the inspiration for Starlight Express. And the Railway Series also is the inspiration for the whole, like, Thomas the Tank Engine franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was news to me. Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote a Requiem Mass dedicated to his father, William, who had died in 1982, um, which premiered at St. Thomas Church in New York on February 24th, 1985. And received a Grammy Award in 1986 for that Requiem in the category of Best Classical Composition. In 1986, Prince Edward, the youngest son of Queen Elizabeth II, commissioned a short musical uh, to be written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. So they're they're back together uh, by order of the Queen um, uh, for for his mother's 60th birthday celebration. So the the musical they wrote for that occasion is called Cricket. Uh, it is also called Cricket, Hearts, and Wickets, and it was first performed at Windsor Castle. In 1986, Andrew Lloyd Webber premiered The Phantom of the Opera, inspired by the 1911 Gaston LaRue novel. Um, he wrote the part of Christine for his then-wife, Sarah Brightman, who played the role in the original London and Broadway productions alongside Michael Crawford as The Phantom. Charles Hart wrote the lyrics for Phantom. Uh, some additional material was provided by Richard Stilgo, uh, with whom... Andrew Lloyd Webber co-wrote the book of the musical. It became a hit and is still running in both the West End and on Broadway. I mean, Broadway's not running right now, but, you know, when it comes back, I believe Phantom's coming back. Um, And in January 2006, it overtook Cats as the longest running show on Broadway. Played its 10,000th show on Broadway in February of 2012 and is the second longest running West End musical. In 1989, uh, he premiered Aspects of Love, a musical based on a story by David Garnett. Um, it ran uh, for four years in London, but closed after less than a year on Broadway. And it's famous for the song Love Changes Everything. Um, he was asked to write a song for the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. He wrote the song Amigos para Siempre, Friends for Life for that uh, occasion. Um, lyrics by Don Black, and the song was performed by his wife, Sarah Brightman, with Jose Carreras. He was knighted in 1992. And also in 1992, he started the Andrew Lloyd Webber Foundation uh, to support the arts, culture, and heritage of the UK. He had been trying to secure the rights to the movie Sunset Boulevard for like over 20 years at this point. Um, but after, after uh, all of the success on these previous projects, he was able to get those rights from Paramount Pictures and uh, worked on the Sunset Boulevard musical, uh, working with Christopher Hampton and Don Black. It opened in 1993 and ran for 1,529 performances. Um, It was very popular uh, and ran for a long time in the West End, but it still lost money because it was a very expensive production. It premiered on Broadway in 1994, opening with the largest advance in Broadway history and winning seven Tony Awards that year, um, but still had not recouped its $13 million investment when it closed three years later. He was made a conservative life peer in 1997, uh, which is to say 
Um, he has like an aristocratic title. He is Baron Lloyd Webber. Um, but that is a life pure means it is for the duration of his life. It is not, um, like his, uh, his heirs don't, his heirs don't get the title when he, uh, when he dies. With that title, um, he became a member of the House of Lords. Um, he is, uh, was a member of the Conservative Party. Uh, however, he was not especially active. He only voted 33 times. As of 2015, I don't know if he, if he voted, like, that's the, that was the information that I found when, when people were, I guess people, uh, had a had a concern about it at that point um so as of 2015 he'd voted 33 times i don't know if he i don't know if that if that count increased in the subsequent two years before he retired from the house of lords which he did on october 17 2017 citing that his uh his work was precluding him from really being involved and it didn't seem fitting to you know to have to have a seat um as brexit was happening uh, he he stepped down. Um, in July 2021, he told Good Morning Britain that he would never vote for the Conservatives again because of their handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and their poor treatment of the arts sector during that time. Wow. Um, yeah. So I figured we'd do all of his like uh, uh, House of Lords stuff in one fell swoop, um, you know, but he was he was made a member in 1997. Um, so. In 1998, he released a film version of Cats, uh, filmed at the Adelphi Theater in London. Um, and in 1998, he premiered uh, the musical "Whistle Down the Wind." I think it was based on a movie, if I'm remembering correctly. A lot of these, a lot of these obscure ones, are based on like movies or like short stories I've never heard of by authors I've never heard of. It originally opened in Washington. Andrew Lloyd Webber was a reportedly not happy, not happy with the casting. And the show was subsequently revised for London staging. I don't believe it did especially well in London either. The Beautiful Game was his next one. It opened in London in 2000. Uh, it, has, it has not had a Broadway premiere. It was subsequently subsequently reworked and retitled The Boys in the Photograph. It's about like a soccer team, um, football team. Yeah, come on. Now. Uh, football. Yeah. <laughs> In 2002, he started producing musicals, you know, by other composers, bringing the musical Bombay Dreams to London uh, with music by Indian composer A.R. Rahman and lyrics by Don Black. Uh, that one ran for two years at the Apollo Victoria Theater and a revised Broadway production at the Broadway Theater opened two years later, but ran for only 284 performances. On September 16, 2004, uh, his production of The Woman in White opened. Uh, it ran for 19 months and 500 performances, and a production opened on Broadway in November 2005. He produced a staging of The Sound of Music, which debuted November 2006, and made the controversial decision to choose an unknown actress to play Maria, um, who would be found through the BBC's reality television show, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, in which he was a judge. Nice. Um, yeah. So then he repeats this a bunch of times. Oh, um, also in 2006, he was uh, named a recipient of the Kennedy Center Honors, Dolly Parton and Steven Spielberg were honored uh, in the same ceremony, among others. But then in the next couple of years, he keeps doing the thing with the reality TV show to find a musical star. So uh, April to June 2007, he's, it, he's a judge for Any Dream Will Do, 
trying to find a new Joseph for a revival of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And then in 2008, he is a judge for the show I'd Do Anything. So this time, not not for one of his musicals. They're looking for someone to play the role of Nancy in Oliver. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And I think there may be another one somewhere coming up. In 2009, he managed the UK's entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, (laughs) and they did another TV series to find a performer (laughs) for the song that he would compose for the competition. Yeah, so that's that's another another like a talent search TV show thing. Jade Ewan was the winner of that one. Uh, Who won the privilege of representing Britain with the song It's My Time? by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Diane Warren. Uh, the UK finished fifth in Eurovision that year, um, and Andrew Lloyd Webber accompanied her on the piano. In October of 2009, uh, he announced uh, that he was going to launch the musical Love Never Dies, which was to be a sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Uh, it opened at the Adelphi Theatre uh, in London's West End on uh, March 9th, 2010. It received mostly negative reviews, and a planned Broadway production, which was to have opened simultaneously with the West End run, was canceled. Hmm. In late 2009, he had surgery for early-stage prostate cancer and was declared cancer-free. In January of 2010, he has not had any subsequent problems with cancer, as far as I know. And then he began a search for another new musical theater performer in the TV series Over the Rainbow. Uh <laughs> He was uh, searching for someone to play the role of Dorothy. Oh. Um, yeah, in a forthcoming stage production of The Wizard of Oz. Um, he and Tim Rice got back together to write a bunch of new songs for that production to supplement the songs from the film. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that opened in March of 2011. In 2012, he fronted the TV show Superstar, <laughs> looking for someone to play the role of Jesus <laughs> um, uh, in an arena tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. In 2013, he uh, he had the musical Stephen Ward, the musical, which ran for about a year on London's West End. Um, and then in 2014, uh, we're back around to Andrew Lloyd Webber projects I've heard of. Um, it was announced that his next project would be a musical adaptation of the 2003 film School of Rock, which made its Broadway debut in December of 2015 and its West End debut in 2016. I've seen that one. It's a fun show. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen I've seen a number of these, um, but School of Rock, I saw it actually when it was pretty early in its run. Uh, in April 2016, the English National Opera staged a revival of Sunset Boulevard at the London Coliseum. Uh, they brought Glenn Close to reprise her role as Norma Desmond, uh, which was her first time performing the role in London. She'd originated it uh, when the show debuted in the U.S. in Los Angeles um, and then moved to Broadway in 1994. She won the 1995 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical for that role. Um, And the 2016 London revival was so well received that the production transferred to the Palace Theatre on Broadway in 2017. This made Andrew Lloyd Webber the first musical theatre composer since 1953 to have four musicals running simultaneously on Broadway. I say since 1953 because one one pair of others, Rodgers and Hammerstein, had done it in 1953. Hmm. In October 2017, uh, he retired from the House of Lords, I mentioned. In 2018, his memoir, Unmasked, was published. 
And on September 9th, 2018, Andrew Lloyd Webber, along with Tim Rice and John Legend, uh, each won an Emmy for Jesus Christ Superstar Live in Concert, uh, the, the televised event. And that win brought all three of them the last award that they needed to have an EGOT. Nice. Um, yeah. He wrote the song Beautiful Ghosts with Taylor Swift for the film adaptation of Cats, which was released in December 2019, as I'm sure we all remember with horror. <laughs> uh, in an interview in August 2020, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber said that the film was ridiculous um, and that it deviated from the musical. And he said the problem with the film was that Tom Hooper decided that he didn't want anybody involved in it who was involved in the original show. Ah. So there you have it. Andrew Lloyd Webber does not approve of the movie Cats, the movie. Um, in January 2020, he announced a new musical, Cinderella, uh, which... Okay, so at this point of the deep dive, we are in, like, I have to check the news right now to see the status. So uh, the, his new project is a musical of Cinderella. It was originally set to open in August of 2020. It was, of course, delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. On June 9th, 2021, it was reported that Andrew Lloyd Webber was prepared to be arrested over his plans to open his new musical in spite of rising COVID cases and against <gasps> government advice. <sighs> yeah, yep. But it looks like they've delayed the opening. Oh, good. The, the latest seems to be that they are slated to return to, uh, to previews on August 18th and have an official opening on August 25th. I, I suspect... That we'll we'll see where we are at that point. Yeah. But maybe Cinderella will open next month. Maybe. Or maybe not. That brings us up to, you know, the present day. Um, but a couple of other things. Uh, there have been a number of accusations of plagiarism in uh, Lloyd Webber's works, uh, including a similarity between the Andante movement of Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E Minor and the Jesus Christ Superstar song, I Don't Know How to Love Him. There is a Pink Floyd riff on which Andrew Lloyd Webber allegedly based the opening organ riff in Phantom of the Opera. No. Um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the Puccini estate filed a lawsuit against Andrew Lloyd Webber, accusing him of plagiarism because of similarities between the music of the night uh, in Phantom mm -hmm. and a recurring melody in uh, Puccini's 1910, I'm not going to attempt the Italian, The Girl of the Golden West. Mm -hmm. An agreement was settled out of court on that one and details were not released to the public. I think there was also one more. Uh, let's see. Songwriter Ray Rep claimed that Lloyd Webber had stolen a melody from his song Till You, um, but the court ruled in Andrew Lloyd Webber's favor on that one. Um, it seems like you know something about this Puccini thing. I, Do you have a take? No, I can just hear it in my head. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can hear it in my head. And I go back and forth on this as someone who has written some music. It's like, there are only 12 notes in our system. And if we're mm -hmm. writing tonal music, it's like, a lot of it has already been done. So... Yeah. Maybe he was plagiarizing. Or maybe... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe he just yeah. liked the way it sounded in his own head. And mm -hmm. um, A college acquaintance of mine who's had some success as a, as a musical theater composer has mentioned that, like, one of his huge anxieties is that 
we're just exposed to so much music mm-hmm. that he fears that something will get in his head and he'll forget that it's not original to him. Yeah. Tunes and melodies and things can, you know, mm-hmm. like you don't quite know where they're from. And yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Paul McCartney thought that for yesterday when he like came up with it. He was talking to his producer. He's like, who wrote this? Because I have this in my head and I really like it. Do you know who this is? And he's then his producer is like, I've never heard this before. And he's like, I'm sh- I'm sure I stole it from someone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I'd never heard that. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber has been married three times. Uh, he married uh, Sarah Hugel in 1971. They divorced in 1983. They had two children together, a daughter and a son. He married singer Sarah Brightman in 1984. Um, he cast her in the lead role in Phantom of the Opera, among other notable roles. They divorced in 1990. He married Madeline Gurdon in Westminster on uh, February 9th, 1991. Uh, they are still married and have three children two sons and one daughter. The Sunday Times Rich List of 2019 ranked him as the richest musician in the UK. He had overtaken Paul McCartney at that point with his fortune of 820 million pounds. Yeah. He's an art collector with a passion for Victorian painting. In 2006, he was planning to sell Portrait of Angel Fernandez de Soto by Pablo Picasso to benefit the Andrew Lloyd Webber Foundation, um, but withdrew the painting from auction after a claim that the previous owner had been forced to sell it under duress in Nazi Germany. Yeah. An out-of-court settlement was reached. The foundation retained ownership rights. And he has received, at this point, six Tonys, three Grammys, as well as the Grammy Legend Award, an Academy Award, 14... Ivor Novello Awards. I don't know those ones, especially. Uh, Seven Olivier Awards, which we had a category about recently. Mm -hmm. A Golden Globe. A Brit Award. The 2006 Kennedy Center Honors. The 2008 Classic Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music. And an Emmy. So, uh, that's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Wow. Yeah. Yes, it is. Now you know all of the titles of his obscure musicals, which was the the big thing that I... (laughs) wanted to make sure to cover sure because uh, because he's like he's written 21 musicals and five or six of them i think most trivia people could just like name just off the top of our heads mm-hmm. and then after that it gets a little dicey anyway are you ready for a quiz yes all right so here's the deal this is a quiz um inspired by the titles of andrew lloyd Webber musicals Okay. Not actually Andrew Lloyd Webber or like the, the musicals per se. Sure. But they're, they're all going to connect to the titles. Okay. All right. Question one. This internet celebrity lived from 2012 to 2019, has over two and a half million Instagram followers, and her representatives have sued Grenade Beverage for trademark infringement. Her official name is Tartar Sauce. By what name is she known in memes and merchandise? <laughs> uh Oh. Grumpy Cat. Yes. Yes. Oh, I I there's oh, I love Grumpy Cat. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Rest in peace, Grumpy Cat. Rest in glorious Grumpy Peace. Yeah, apparently um Grumpy Cat Cuban representatives partnered with uh, Grenade Beverage uh, to create the Grumpuccino, like bottled iced coffee drink, 
and then Grenade Beverage continued to uh, create Grumpy Cat uh, tie-ins, including, you know, like coffee beans and things like that beyond what was agreed upon. Uh, and so uh, Grumpy Cat uh, had to sue Grenade Beverages for, um, for, for trademark infringement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thought that was a, a, a fun extra thing I had not known about Grumpy Cat. All right. So you're at 10 points. Um, and that's, of course, cats uh, is the tie in there. Yeah. It's a question okay. about cats. Um, all right. Question two. I don't know enough about the sport of cricket to write a good trivia question about it. If you remember, Cricket, the musical, was the one that was commissioned for the, for the Queen's birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead, I'd like you to tell me the name of the George Selden children's classic featuring Tucker Mouse, Harry Cat, the Bellini family, and the titular character whose name is Chester. I can give you kind of a cutesy clue if you want it. Sure. All right. The book was released in 1960. Um, so even though they were in the right place, Chester would not have been able to see Andrew, any of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals. Not not really uh, helping me. I don't think I know this one. So oh, I'm just okay. going to pass. All right. This is The Cricket in Times Square. It's a it's like a children's classic like chapter book about a cricket uh, who who makes his way to New York um, and takes up residence at a newsstand and um, is able to chirp like I think opera. Um, hmm. Yeah. So Cricket the Musical is the connection there. All right. Question three. Most amputees experience a phenomenon which may or may not include pain. In fact, it doesn't include pain in most cases. The name for this phenomenon was coined by physician Silas Weir Mitchell in 1871. It typically resolves without treatment within two to three years of amputation. What is the name of this phenomenon? Uh, I believe that would be phantom limb. That is correct. Yeah, phantom limb uh, syndrome or phantom limb pain is uh, having sensation from a limb that one does not does have. Not have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's been a lot of research and they still don't really know um, what the mechanism is hmm. uh, by which people experience this. All right. So you're at, um, and of course that's phantom of the opera is the is the connection oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh Question four. According to Bernie Wooster, Jeeves can buttle with the best of them. Despite this, he isn't a butler. What is Jeeves's job title? A role, a role also held by Figaro in The Marriage of Figaro, Passepartout in Around the World in 80 Days, and Mr. Bates in Downton Abbey. Uh... <laughs> I will accept... Either pronunciation, the British one where you say the T, or the 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 French way without with where the T is silent. Oh, okay. Is it a, a valet? It is or a valet. valet. Yes, yeah, valet. Yeah, Jeeves is not a butler. No, it turns out uh, Jeeves is a valet. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, good to know. Yeah. All right. So you are, uh, and Jeeves is the musical here, of course. So you're at 30 points. Question five. 
Sunset Boulevard is a boulevard, of course, in Los Angeles that stretches from the Pacific Coast Highway in Pacific Palisades to Figueroa Street in downtown Los Angeles. It used to extend further, but in 1994, a portion of it was combined with new construction and renamed after a Mexican-American labor leader and civil rights activist. Who is that co-founder of the National Farm Workers Association? All right. You say co-founder. I am aware of one name, and that's Cesar Chavez. That is correct. Okay. I don't know who else co-founded it. Uh, Dolores Huerta, is that right? Um, okay. That would be a good name to know. Yeah. Yep. Dolores Huerta. Okay. I was trying to come up with a Sunset Boulevard trivia question, and um, Cesar Chavez was one of my correct Jeopardy answers, mm-hmm. so it felt it felt fitting that he uh that he that uh that he fit in with some with some sunset boulevard trivia mm-hmm. all right so you are at 40 points and we're going to call the last category innovation etymology okay innovation etymology uh i'll go for 30 okay yeah okay so here is your question Technicolor gets the first syllable of its name from what Boston area institution where the founders of Technicolor Incorporated received their undergraduate education? I'm I'm hesitant because I'm afraid it might be a trick, but I'm going to say MIT. Yeah, no, it's not a trick. That's correct. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had assumed that Technicolor's name was like, we're using technology to make the movies in color, you know, but it turns out Herbert Kalmus and Daniel Frost Comstock were undergraduates together at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and later returned there as instructors um, and worked together on the the method of recording and projecting film in color. And so gave it the name Technicolor in part as a salute to MIT. I mean, they're also using technology to put color in movies. Right. But that was the the but the the inspiration was sort of a shout out to, you know, their this the to MIT. Yeah. So you are finishing the quiz with 70 points. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Um yeah. Um and that uh, that, that last question of course was um Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat mm. was the was the inspiration. Yeah, and thank you for making a podcast with me. Well, of course, thank you for a very good, very good deep dive and fun quiz. Thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you could. Um, if you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. Yeah, you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy with LeVar Burton! Yay! And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.